Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to A History of Europe. Key Battles. The Battle of Clydon in AD 1014, also known as the Battle of the Clydon Pass, between the Bulgarians and the Byzantine Empire. In today's podcast, I will describe the rise of Bulgaria and its people's centuries-long struggle against the Byzantine Empire. The focus today would be on the history of Southeast Europe, an area less prominent in most histories of Europe, but still an important part of the continent. In an earlier podcast on the Battle of Yamuk in AD 636, I related how the Byzantine, otherwise known as the East Roman Empire, was defeated by Muslim forces who had originated from Arabia. As a result, they lost control of the territories of Syria and the Eastern Mediterranean. Then, in the later podcast, on the Battle of Tours, I described how the following decades, the Arabs continued their remarkable expansion and invaded northern Africa, at the expense again of the Byzantines. At the same time, they expanded northwards and fought for Armenia, Asia Minor and some Mediterranean islands, such as Crete and Rhodes. Not only did the Byzantines have this to deal with, On the other side, they were facing increasing pressures from a group of people called the Slavs, who we will hear much more about over the coming podcasts. Despite their abundance, the origins of these people are unclear. The first record of them is from the 6th century Byzantine chronicles in which they appear to have migrated from the north or east into the lower Danube and Balkan region. In the mid-540s, the Byzantine Empire was ravaged by a terrible pandemic, which we today know as one of the most ever virulent strains of the bubonic plague. It left south-eastern Europe greatly depopulated, and so allowed new peoples, most notably the Slavs, to take advantage and settle in half-empty lands. Archaeological evidence from there suggests a massive programme of fortification building in the region during the time of the Emperor Justinian, in a vain attempt to stem the flow. This was ultimately unsuccessful and only ended up draining imperial resources further. The Byzantines had trouble defending the Balkans due to the frequent need to divert troops to help fight the Arabs. However, in 658, In a brief period of relative calm to their east, the empire inflicted a major defeat on the Slavs in the Balkans. The Byzantines temporarily reasserted some notion of rule over them and resettled some Slavs in Asia Minor. 
In 674, the Arabs invaded once more, and this time laid siege to the Byzantine capital, Constantinople. This was a serious threat and underlines the increasing strength of the Muslims and weakening of Byzantium. The city endured four years before finally defeating the Arab army. This was a crucial victory. The East Roman Empire survived and the Arab threat receded. For now. This allowed the Byzantines to address a new and growing threat to their north, the Bulgars. The Bulgars were a Turkic people who in the 6th and 7th century lived north of the Black Sea. They are thought to have been a blend of various ethnic elements, the word Bulgar being derived from a Turkic verb meaning to mix. Between 630 and 635 they united under a single rule, creating a powerful confederation which stretched from the Danube to the Volga rivers. It was referred to by medieval authors as Old Great Bulgaria. However, in 668 it disintegrated under attack from another people called the Khazars. The Bulgars separated and formed new smaller kingdoms, including one on the Volga, one in the Caucasus Mountains and another in Italy. The only Bulgar group which survives to this day, and the one that interests as here is the one which travelled southeast into the lower Danube. There they encountered Slavic tribes. The Bulgars, with their superior military skills and greater level of political cohesion, soon became the leaders of the local Slavs. Over time, the two groups assimilated to create a new people, the Bulgarians. The new kingdom's main problem was to establish clearly defined and secure borders. From their capital, named Pliska, situated in the northeast of modern-day Bulgaria, the Bulgarians came into conflict with various tribal groups milling around on the plains, and with a succession of states on their north-western borders. Their most pressing and persistent problem was defining Bulgaria's relationship with the great power to the south. Thus began a relationship between Bulgaria and the Byzantine Empire, which was to last centuries. Often they fought, but just as often they cooperated and engaged in cultural exchange. The first efforts by Byzantium to contain the Bulgar threat were not very successful. In 680, Emperor Constantine IV led a combined land and sea operation against the Bulgarians. However, suffering from bad health, the emperor had to leave the army. For some reason this apparently triggered panic among the Byzantines, who lost cohesion and were subsequently defeated by the Bulgars. The year after, Constantine was forced to acknowledge the Bulgar state and to pay protection money to avoid further inroads into imperial territories. The next decades continued to see a growing Bulgarian state at the expense of Byzantine authority. Constantine's successor, Justinian II, having been deposed, needed the help of the Bulgarians to regain his throne in 705. In return, he gave Bulgaria more land. Three years later, however, he changed his mind and tried to take it back by force, but was unsuccessful. 
in 717, the Arabs again laid siege to Constantinople, and this time the threat was even more serious than in 674. The then Emperor, Leo III, was able to persuade the Bulgarians to help, despite their earlier conflicts. The siege lasted a whole year, but again the Byzantines were able to hold out and defeat the Arab threat at their city walls. I mentioned in the podcast on the Battle of Tours how some historians give more significance to the failure of this siege than Charles Martel's victory 15 years later. The Byzantines and Bulgarians fought on and off for the rest of the 8th century. In 763 the empire gained the upper hand with a decisive victory, but the Bulgarians were the victors in another great battle in 792. As a result of the victory, Bulgaria entered the new century stable, stronger and entered its golden age. Under the great Khan Krum, 803-814, Bulgaria expanded very quickly. To the northwest, the Bulgarian armies eliminated the Avar Khanate and a border with Charlemagne's Frankish Empire was established along the Danube. To the south, Krum occupied the whole territory of present-day Romania and Moldova, and then the cities of Sofia, Adrianople, today known as Edirne, and Philippopolis, or modern-day Plovdiv, before marching as far as the walls of Constantinople itself. His successor, Khan Omurtag, was able to add Belgrade and its surrounding district to his kingdom, before moving on to also take Macedonia, This now predominantly Slav area may have welcomed this alternative to Greek Byzantine domination. Further gains were made by the Bulgarian kingdom, which by the middle of the century extended as far as southern Albania. Byzantium was left with just a small corner of southeastern Europe. As well as the pressure from Bulgarians and Slavs from the north and west, they were facing repeated attacks from the Arabs in the east. The Bulgarians, however, faced their own problems to their west. The political map of Europe was constantly changing. New competing Slavic states were appearing for the first time in historical records, such as Serbia, Croatia and Moravia, which occupied very approximately modern-day Slovakia. It was at this time when the Frankish kingdom of Charlemagne were divided into three separate kingdoms, as described in the earlier podcast on the Battle of Lechfeld. The Bulgars sought to continue their conquest of Slav lands and to force the Serbs into subjugation. They launched an invasion into Serbian territory in 839. However, after three years of war, Bulgaria had lost a large part of his army and made no territorial gains. A map of the Balkans from around this period can be found on my website, www.historyeurope.net. The next significant leader of the Bulgarians was Boris I of Bulgaria, who ruled from 852 to 888. He became involved in Central European diplomacy and was persuaded by the Moravians to attack the Eastern Franks. But the campaign was a disaster. The Franks scored a great victory and invaded Bulgaria themselves. 
At the same time, the Croats started waging war against the Bulgarians, likely encouraged by the Franks. As a result, Boris was compelled to settle for peace with both Western neighbours. Boris I is most remembered, however, for imposing Christianity upon his kingdom. At this time, the Saxons and Danes were embracing the Christian faith, leaving only the far north and east of Europe outside the Christian community. If Bulgaria were to be accepted as an equal amongst the powerful states of Europe, it would have to join this community. Another reason for conversion was that the religion would help promote literacy, essential for effective centralised administration. And one more benefit for Bulgaria was for Christianity to act as a cultural glue between the Bulgars and the Slavs. The gap between the two ethnic groups still existed, although their languages had by now merged into one in which the Slav tongue of the conquered masses predominated. In any case, the locals were already familiar with Christianity since the religion had taken root in Roman times, although like the Britons, for example, they had lapsed, or rather. Boris had the option to join either the Roman Catholic or Greek Byzantine churches, which over the previous centuries had gradually drifted apart. He agreed to choose the Byzantines when they agreed to let Bulgaria form an autonomous church and use their native language and services. Hence two Byzantine monks, Cyril and Methodius, helped set up a Bulgarian church and also introduced the Cyrillic alphabet. For this reason, the Bulgarian language is still written in the Cyrillic script to this day. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The kingdom of Bulgaria reached its apogee under the rule of Boris's son, Simeon the Great. He extended his territory westwards to the Adriatic, south to Aegean and northwestwards to incorporate most of modern Serbia and Montenegro. He also led his army against Byzantium, twice laying siege to Constantinople. The second time, however, he was forced to raise the siege because of pressure from the Magyars in the north. Bulgaria made a treaty with Byzantium in 896, which resulted in 20 years of peace and prosperity, and an unprecedented flourishing of Bulgarian art and literature. Simeon was confident enough to declare himself a Tsar. 
The prosperity of these golden years was based to a considerable degree on the close commercial relations with the empire. The good times, however, would not last. The end of Simeon's reign saw a renewed conflict with Constantinople. The reign of his son and successor, Petr, lasted 43 years from 927 to 970, but were years of decline for Bulgaria. Wars were now defensive rather than expansionist. As well as the Magyars, who continued to threaten in the north, Bulgaria came under attack from a new power which was rapidly expanding to the northeast, Kievan Rus. Rus was a confederation of eastern Slavic tribes, with its capital at Kiev, which the modern people of Belarus, Ukraine and Russia all claim as their cultural inheritance. I will talk more about them in a later podcast. Bulgaria, as well as these problems, was being worn down by frequent wars with Constantinople to the south. However, things seemed to be turning around again for Bulgaria under Samuel 997-1014. While the Byzantines were preoccupied with another Arab invasion, Samuel successfully expanded Bulgarian authority into present-day Albania and Montenegro and recovered lands that had been Bulgarian before the invasion of Kievan Rus. The emperor in Constantinople at this time, in fact from the years 976 to 1025, was one of the greatest emperors of all Byzantine history. Basil II was not only a brave and capable general, but an effective administrator. He had to spend the first years of his reign putting down civil wars, but from then on enjoyed firm control over the affairs of state. Officially, his brother, Constantine VIII, was co-emperor, but in practice Basil had ultimate authority and was responsible for all military matters, while Constantine was responsible for ceremonial duties in the capital. At this point in history, the direction of the empire was uncertain. Basil could have chosen to direct the empire's resources either to the north, into Europe, or to the east, into Asia. The reason for opting for the former could be explained by the politics of the empire. At this time, the emperor was struggling to control the regional leaders of the eastern territories. Expansion into Asia would bring benefits, but also the dangers of creating overly powerful eastern governors. On the other hand, Bulgaria offered the opportunity for Basil to establish a new heartland, where he could reward supporters with land, build up his reputation, and in the meantime assert central authority over the eastern aristocrats. At first, though, Basil campaigned against the Arabs, especially in Syria. After military successes, he compelled the Arabs to agree to a ten-year truce in the year 1000, which gave the emperor the freedom to give his attention to Europe and regain lands lost to the Bulgarians many years before. The best source for the Balkan War between Basil and Samuel is the history of John Skylitzes. This war is an invaluable text for the events of the 9th to mid-11th century. However, the account of Basil's campaign is sometimes confused and was written over a century after the events. 
In the year 1001, the emperor and his troops moved into the Balkans. First he regained Sofia and its neighbouring forts, and then the cities of Prislav and Pliska in northeastern Bulgaria. Leaden seal was found in the area tell us that new military governors were assigned control of the territories, and finds of Byzantine coins indicate that garrisons were stationed in the main fortresses along the lower Danube. This was followed by a campaign into northern Greece, which led to the capture of several other fortresses, including Servia on Videna, now Edessa, whose governors were rewarded with high-ranking dignities for their prompt submission. Samuel's response was to similarly raid Byzantine-held territories such as Adrianople, but with less success. Basil continued to campaign annually the next year, switching focus to northern Bulgaria, where he took the fort of Vidin after a prolonged siege. The year after, in 1003, he defeated Samuel near Skopje in Macedonia, where his Byzantine troops sacked the town. The same year, more forts fell to Basil without much fighting. The history of Skadetsis suggests Fighting continued each year, but gives no more details, so it is thought there was perhaps a lull in the fighting for the next decade. The one exception is a Byzantine victory in 1009 at the Battle of Creta in Thessalonica. The culmination of centuries of warfare between the Byzantines and Bulgars occurred on the 29th of July, 1014, at the Battle of Clydon. Basil led his troops once more into Bulgaria, this time to tackle Samuel head-on. The Byzantine ruler knew that the Byzantine army would have to invade the country through a series of mountain passes, so he built ditches along the frontier and fortified many of the valleys and passes with walls and towers, especially the pass of Clydon on the Struma River, which Basil would need to pass through to reach the heart of Bulgaria. After years of military defeats, Samuel's decision to confront Basil II and the bulk of his army at Clydon was perhaps prompted by concerns over his authority among the nobility, which had been fatally weakened by Basil's campaigns. He constructed a thick wooden wall to defend against Byzantine attack. Basil attacked this palisade, but at first could not break through. Samuel also tried to divert the attention of his foes by sending a large army southwards and attack Thessalonica. But Byzantine troops were sent to defend the city and were able to defeat them outside the city walls in a bloody battle. Back in Clydon, Skyditzes relates the battle as follows. Quote, when the emperor had thus despaired of gaining passage, Nikephorus Kephias the Strategos of Philippopolis met with the emperor and urged him to stay put and continue to assault the wall, while, as he explained, he turned back with his men and heading round to the south of Clydon, through round and trackless country, crossed the very high mountain known as Belassica. On the 29th of July, 1014, Cepheus and his men descended suddenly on the Bulgarians from behind, screaming battle cries. 
Panic-stricken by the sudden assault, the Bulgarians turned to flee, while the emperor broke through the abandoned wall. Many Bulgarians fell, and many more were captured. End quote. So, by encircling the Bulgarian army, Basil had managed to trap and capture many of the enemy troops in the pass. This led to the most notorious incident of the battle, Basil's decision to blind Bulgarian prisoners of war. According to general Byzantine policy, Basil could have taken a defeated enemy into imperial service and maybe even provide them with land. Instead, Skalitsis reports that of the 15,000 prisoners, the Byzantines blinded 99 of every 100 men, leaving one one-eyed man in each cohort to lead the rest back to their ruler. Although cruel treatment, the Byzantines saw this as a more compassionate option than murdering their foe, and presumably Basil did not feel able to absorb the Bulgarians into his service. If simply released, the Bulgarians would perhaps be able to regroup and fight another day. Anyhow, after this battle, Basil would be known in history as Basil the Bulgar Slayer. The incident of mass blinding is to this day a source of grievance among some Bulgarian nationals. Bear in mind, although some degree of blinding did occur, numbers may be greatly exaggerated, so it could be mistaken to found strong beliefs on information which might not be accurate. There is also doubt the Bulgarian defeat was as complete as suggested by Skeritsis. What is known is that Samuel escaped the battlefield but died a couple of months later. His heirs were unable to effectively resist the continued attacks of Basil II, and Bulgaria was completely defeated by 1018. The Battle of Clydon was the most significant of a string of victories for Basil II. Although it did not immediately knock out the Bulgarian kingdom, the Bulgarian army suffered such heavy casualties that it never recovered. Within Bulgaria, local and provincial governors soon voluntarily surrendered to Basil II once it was clear he was gaining the upper hand, and over the next years Basil carried out a methodical integration of Balkan lands into the Byzantine state and a programme that led to the revival of towns in the region. As a result, the once mighty Bulgarian Empire which once stretched across three seas from the Adriatic to the Aegean, and Black Seas was absorbed into the Byzantine Empire. It would take Bulgarians 170 years to regain their independence. To my mind, the most significant outcomes of the Battle of Clydon in the long term are two. Firstly, while there is much to admire about the way in which the first Bulgarian kingdom was created, and what it achieved, from 1014 onwards, Bulgaria would never again become a first-rate European power. Secondly, the Byzantine Empire was given the confidence it would need to survive for further centuries. The Byzantines now controlled the Balkan Peninsula from the Danube to the Peloponnese, and from the Adriatic Sea to the Black Sea. Serbia and Croatia also became their vassal states around this time. Basil turned out to be as moderate in victory as he had been implacable in battle. 
For example, he allowed the Bulgarian church to continue as a separate national institution. Basil later also strengthened imperial control in the Caucasus Mountains, in Georgia and Armenia. And further east, his truce with the Arabs proved significant too. In Cairo, a newly established power called the Fatimids, who subscribed to the Shiite version of Islam, became rivals to the Sunni Muslims of Baghdad. Basil made no move to exploit this division in the Islamic world. Instead, he went into negotiation with the Fatimids and came to an agreement whereby Christian pilgrims were allowed to travel to and visit the holy sites in the Fatimid-controlled regions of Palestine, including Jerusalem. This generated more interest in Western Europe for the Holy Land and helped contribute to the call for the Crusades, when those pilgrim routes were later blocked. To understand the Crusades, it is essential to understand the events leading up to the call to arms by Pope Urban in 1095. So in the next podcast I will tell the story of Italy from the fall of Rome up until the year 1053, the year of the Battle of Civitate between Pope Leo IX and Norman invaders of Italy. The next battle I cover after that will be the Battle of Hastings of 1066, followed by the Battle of Manzikert in 1071 between the Byzantine and the Turkish army. And then after that, the First Crusade and the struggle for Jerusalem. Please feel free to visit www.historyeurope.net and leave a comment on the podcast. In response to one of your comments, I have turned up the volume, so I hope this is an improvement. If you enjoy these podcasts, it would also be extremely helpful for me if you put a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to A History of Europe, Key Battles. Please join me next time for the history of early Italy and the Battle of Civitate.